Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Charity Stripe Commentary, part of the Hoop Social Podcast Network. I'm your host for tonight, Trey Hill, and I am joined by favorite guest at this point, Mike Shear uh, of both Basketball Poetry. And Mike, go ahead, introduce yourself. Shout out your Twitter handle, The Whole Nine Yards. Hey, thanks for having me again, Trey. Uh, my name is Mike Shear, obviously. You can find me at B-Ball is Poetry on Twitter. And you can also find all my written work at www.basketballpoetry.com or over at www.hoop-social.com. So come check me and a bunch of other talented people out there. And while I am playing host, you know, it is my show. It was your idea to have the show tonight. It was your idea for the topic. So why don't you take the lead and kind of tell us why you wanted to run with this? Absolutely. So one of the things that I like most about the NBA offseason, when there's not really any news to react to, a lot of the kind of postmortems on the seasons are done right, and people are trying to figure out what kind of content can we be talking about. One of the most fun things to debate, because it's purely subjective, but you can back it up with a ton of objective evidence, is under and overrated players. Um, a lot of this is going to be in the eye of the beholder, right? Like somebody who I think is overrated because I hear people talking about him too much. You might be like, no, he's properly rated or he's underrated. So I think there can be a lot of really good back and forth and a lot of really interesting points of view on this. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So I wanted to kind of kick us off uh, and you know start some conversations around that. And I think if it's okay with you, we should probably just head right into our first uh, underrated player. Well, do you want to start overrated or underrated? Why don't we start overrated? Because then we can end on a happy note. That sound better? That that is some A level podcast hosting experience there from guest Mike Shear. So bravo on that. You're you're right. So why don't you go ahead and start? Who was your first? Yeah. So my first. And are these in order for you? Because I don't have like I don't have a particular order per se. I just I I named off three people. No, no. There's no particular order here. I would say. Um. But uh. Yeah. Let's go into kind of guys that we think are overrated. I'm gonna start with. DeJounte Murray. So uh, to be clear, and I want to state, state this up front for anybody listening, overrated and underrated. I don't think that underrated players are better than overrated players, for example. This is not in absolute value to each other. This is more about how I perceive them compared to how the general public discourse around the player goes. So, and it's not just public discourse, right? We just saw that DeJounte Murray is very highly rated within the league. He just got a massive uh, package uh, in a trade to go from the Spurs to the Hawks. They traded a, a bunch of first round picks. Danilo Gallinari, who was a, you know, a valuable chip. Um, so I think that clearly there is a lot of people who have a lot of faith in DeJounte Murray as a basketball player. And we can start with the good stuff. He's a very good defender. He was an all defensive player several years ago. He has improved every season of his career pretty dramatically. And that's usually something I like in a player. I like guys who show like steep upward inclines in their, you know, stats and in their abilities year over year. But I think that the discourse around Murray has gotten a little bit too much. To me, people act as if he is like this insane ball stopper on the level of, you know, prime Kawhi, prime Gary Payton, either Gary Payton. And I don't think he's that good. I don't think he's as switchable as a lot of guys because he's so skinny. His frame is so light. He gets, he wreaks havoc in passing lanes. He's very good when he's guarding small guards because he's just got a 6'10 wingspan. He can swallow guys up. Super good anticipation with the dribble. Like there are very few guys who are as good at picking the ball while it's on its downward bounce while a player is dribbling, if that makes sense. So you can kind of time it to get it before the ball handler has a time to react, which is an amazing skill. But I think his defensive impact is kind of limited to that. And while it's important, on ball defense 
is a whole is a little bit overrated. He's not nearly as good, in my opinion, on the help. He's not as good on switches, which means that he can be attacked um, in certain plays. Offensively, his stats are insane, Harden-esque in some ways, but a lot of that to me is the product of being in a system where he is the sole focal point and pretty much the only on-ball creator. So he's you know averaging over eight assists a game last season, which is great, but I think a lot of those tend to be because he is the only guy who's a plus passer at all on that team. It's not that I think he's a bad passer. I just think that he tends to be a little bit mechanical and he's a system where all of the assists are basically designed to come from him. And worst, he just can't shoot threes. And that's the one thing that he has not improved upon in his career. I think that having a lead ball handler and a point guard who can't shoot threes is one of the most ceiling limiting factors in an offense. Uh, If your main guy, unless it's somebody like Giannis or LeBron, who's big enough and strong enough and skilled enough to kind of bulldoze their way to the rim, draw heaps of fouls. Um, I, I think that having a limited three-point shot is just such a damaging aspect to a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And because he can't shoot threes, he's not going to be able to play as effectively off of Trey Young in his new home in Atlanta. So I don't know. I, I just think that the Murray valuation seems to be too high for a player who I'm a, I like in a vacuum. I just don't like him as much as everybody else seems to. I think I agree with pretty much everything you just said. So I don't have anything to add on that. My question would be, Given the change of scenery, he's going from being, uh, I would say in San Antonio, he was the lead ball handler for the most part. Whereas in Atlanta, he's going to be playing more off ball than on ball. Do you think going to Atlanta is going to kind of expose some of the warts you're talking about? Whereas San Antonio and the system that he had maybe helped helped him shine and kind of accentuated his, you know, his better assets? So two parts of that that I want to address. The first is like, what's interesting about the way he was using San Antonio is it never really challenged him to stretch himself in ways that I think would have been positive for his growth. And it's something you can't see in the box scores, right? Like he's improved his scoring average, like four or five points a game every year. He's improved his assist every single year. But San Antonio has a weird thing where like the system is the system. The offensive system, you know, has been pretty similar, I would say, over the last decade, even as the players have shuffled in and out. And to me, they've never helped him figure out how to improve his, uh, you know, three-point percentage. They don't encourage him to be shooting off the dribble, partially because he can't. But you can't get the game-time reps if the system doesn't really allow for it. And we know San Antonio is more system-driven than a lot of offenses. Um, it's also something where, like, there's a lot of easy passes for him to make, which is great from the team's perspective, I think. But it never really challenged him to become this A-level playmaker, whereas I think he's more solidly in the B, B-minus role right now. So I... I think that the system was very helpful for him in padding his box score numbers, but not necessarily in growing as a player in the areas that where I would have liked to have seen it for his long-term trajectory going to Atlanta. The fit I think is not good at all next to Trey young. Whereas everybody else seems to think it's great because I think you're asking a lot on both players to do things that they've never really shown the ability to do. John Murray has never really been able to play off ball and Trey young seems like he should be because he's such a great shooter, but he, you know, has has kind of what the, you know, people used to make fun of John Wall and Russell Westbrook for, right? Like if he doesn't have the ball, he tends to be sitting there, hands on his knees, like just kind of chilling in the spot. He's not doing the Steph Curry run around off screens and try to get himself open for a quick three. So I don't think the fit is going to be that great. I don't think that Murray's defense is going to be able to like do some amazing cover up for Trey Young. I don't think that guard defense is able is ever about covering up weaknesses. You need big men to be able to do that because at the end of the day, there's not going to be that many like, guard guard pick and rolls to get off of DeJounte Murray to Trey Young you know and if, honestly if there are it's not gonna 
help because DeJounte Murray is not going to be able to, to get over that as often. So I don't know. I, I don't think the fit's going to be as clean as a lot of people think. I, I don't like the fit either. So I'm with you on that. I, and I agree. I think DeJounte Murray, I, I thought he was underrated there for, you know, that first year. And then he went from underrated to overrated pretty quick. Um, so for me, my first overrated guy is Jalen Brown on the Boston Celtics. And I think he's a better player than DeJounte Murray. I think he is a number two caliber player on a title team. But to this day, I still constantly see these comparisons of Tatum or Brown. I see a lot of people questioning whether they should even include Brown in the trade for Durant. Hmm. And I know when you look at the numbers, Brown puts up excellent numbers. If you look at the finals, Brown outplayed Tatum. But when you watch the finals, the defense is geared towards focusing on Tatum. They want to shut Tatum down. And Jalen was able to to capitalize on that. But when defenses have to focus so much on Tatum, that is going to allow Brown to succeed. But I, you have to give Tatum credit for that. And I, I just – it ties into – you know, it ties into stuff later. But I looked up the numbers on cleaning the glass. Boston as a team – Per 100 possessions, they were plus 7.4 for the year. When when Tatum was on the floor without Brown, they were plus 8.9 for the year. When Brown was out there without Tatum, they were an even Mm. 0.0. To me, I think that just that kind of says it all about Brown's value on the Celtics and in terms of, of just kind of expanding on the Tatum gets the defensive attention when Tatum's out there. He's able to make things happen. Whereas when Brown's out there and he's getting the focal point of all of that defensive attention, he's the number one option. He wasn't able to take what ended up being the finals team. He wasn't able to make that team a positive without Tatum on the floor. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I, I think that Brown is interesting. I think he's kind of, maybe properly rated, maybe a tat. You're, you're saying that you think he's a little bit overrated. I, I don't know. I, I think that like you, to your point, I think that people say he's a really good second banana. And I think that he is a really good second banana who probably hasn't shown the ability to be a premier option yet. And maybe he'll get there. He's still pretty young, right? Like he's still, uh, you know, in his mid twenties and has grown a little bit every year. I wonder what he would look like if I think that Brogdon's addition is going to show us what Brown's ceiling really is, because I do think that, the Celtics struggled when Tatum is the only real creator off the dribble. Uh, Brown is more of a straight line kind of guy. He obviously people, you know, roasted him uh, in the playoffs for his lack of a handle and his inability to kind of deal with like all the, the clogged paint and that kind of thing. I wonder what he'll look like with a little bit more space. It might kind of, you know, having just a third guy out there besides Tatum and Brown that can do anything off the dribble, I think is going to really open things up for Brown. So I, I don't know. I would push back on that a little bit because I agree with all the things you're saying. And I know you think he's a very good player too. I, I don't know that he's necessarily overrated, but that's just my opinion. What When I said earlier that, I didn't rank these players. He was my last addition on the on the on the list, and he was the one that was the hardest pill for me to swallow. If Caleb would have came on the podcast like he was supposed to, I was really excited to get to cut Brown from this completely. But here we are. So <laughs> moving on quickly from this one, you go right ahead onto your first underrated. Yeah. So my first underrated player is a guy that I wrote extensively about today. So you know, here's the natural plug. 
I wrote uh, a book on my guy, Pascal Siakam today, who's one of my favorite players. And I think one of the most interesting players in the NBA today. I think that he has all of the kind of statistical hallmarks of a superstar. And yet when you watch him and when you talk to people, nobody thinks of him in that vein. But I have a couple fun facts. And I'll actually, I wrote so much about him that I want to keep the, the dialogue short and sweet. So I'm going to have a couple fun facts I'm going to rattle off for you that I think are enlightening. 186 people in, in, in NBA history have made two or more all NBA teams. And Siakam is one of them, having made it this year and three years ago. That's more than Devin Booker's made. It's more than Kyle Lowry's made. It's more than Bradley Beal's made. It's more than Chris Bosh or Kevin McHale made in their entire careers. It's the same number as Jason Tatum, Clay Thompson, and Carl Anthony Towns. Like Making it onto two different all-NBA teams is a huge feat. It means you're one of the best basketball players in the history of basketball. That is no joke. Uh, getting a little bit more granular in going back into kind of the last year, um, the most recent season, the Raptors, uh, <clears throat> or sorry, Siakam was in the 89th percentile for isolation defense, which means he can still put the clamps down on anybody on the floor, um, which I love to think of because the Raptors actually transitioned to more of using him in like the off-ball helper role, as opposed to the olden days when he was kind of the premier on-ball stopper. Now they put him in kind of this off-ball helper role that you see like Giannis uh, used very effectively in Milwaukee, but he can still just crush anybody one-on-one -on -one if he has to. And it goes the opposite way. On offense, he had the sixth most isolation points in the league ahead of some major Titans like Giannis, Tatum, and LeBron. So I just think that those are two interesting things that show like, hey, as a one-on-one -on -one ball player, as a real bucket getter, or as a real stopper, like he still has the goods in a way that almost nobody in the league can combine. But nobody thinks of him as this guy because he doesn't really look that smooth. He doesn't have amazing highlights. He just has an underrated bag in the mid-range and from three. He is uh, he's kind of like awkward, physically weird-looking floaters and hook shots and post-up games that all just kind of work. All of the part, like he's a B-plus, A-minus player in all of the areas of his game. And it adds up to so much more than the sum of those considerable parts. So the last stat I just want to throw out there is that he's one of the most doubled players in the NBA. Over 30% of his possessions, he gets double teamed on, which is crazy to think about. But his team scores 1.2 points per possession, which is an astronomical mark, and the third highest rate out of the 20 most doubled players. So there's really just not much that he can't do. He's gotten a little bit better every single year. I think that so much of the discourse around Toronto is about like, hey, how can we find the superstar to pair with Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam? But really, maybe the question Toronto should be asking is like, who can we find who'd be a perfect fit next to Siakam? I know I like to argue on this podcast, but I can't argue with any of that. I also love Siakam. He's he's one of my favorite players. I, I've loved him ever since... Uh, ever since he burst onto the scene with that first All-NBA team. And I thought that season – he even said that season in Tampa really affected him poorly. And he he's a guy who has a routine. You know, he didn't start playing basketball till he was 18. He moved over here. And he has a he, – he said he had a routine. And having to play in Tampa, it really affected him poorly. And seeing him get to come back and thrive, I kind of wonder if he had, if he had thrived that season also, if – maybe he would be considered properly rated because everyone else would see just how talented he is. But right now I think people are just kind of rediscovering what we know is just that greatness up in Toronto. And when you say they need to add to Scotty Barnes, 
I don't know if they really need to add a whole lot of anything. If anything, maybe they just need to let Scotty Barnes develop for a couple years with this team, and they might just go right into contenders. It's possible. I'm excited. Toronto is up there in my top three most like anticipated teams to watch this season. So I'm really excited to see what they do because I think between Siakam, Barnes, and maybe even Ananobi, like I think they have, and, and Van Vliet obviously has been an all star in the past. I think they have four guys who can make plausible cases for all star, and three of those could probably make plausible cases for all NBA next season if every if everybody played at like 80th percentile outcomes for their season, right? So I'm uh, excited to see what Toronto looks like. My first underrated guy is someone I'm excited to watch this season because I think we might actually get to watch him for a full season. The Oklahoma City Thunder and Shea Gildress-Alexander, he's been basically sat down for lottery purposes the last two years, I'm pretty sure. But when he has been able to play, he has been, to me, I think one of probably the, the 25, if not 20 best players in the league. He's just absolutely phenomenal when he's out there. I went on Basketball Index just to kind of look up some of his stats from last year. And under his playmaking stuff, he is on his potential assists per 100 passes. There, It's 25.5. That's the that's 96th percentile. So he, he's getting potential. Like he's creating opportunities for his teammates to score when he's passing the ball. When you look at his scoring gravity, he's at the 100th percentile. And I, I don't think he has a better scoring gravity than Steph Curry, but – I think that shows he does have a really high scoring gravity because when he has the ball, he's driving more than any other player in the league. He's driving 24 times. Yeah. Yeah. Literally he's driving 24.8 times per 75 possessions. That's the hundredth percentile in the league. He drives more than anyone in the league. And he's also able to finish at the rim. If you look at their rim shot making statistic, he's a plus 1.9. That's 95th percentile. You know, that's not quite the top, top, top tier, but he's right up there. And their overall finishing talent, he's in the 99th percentile just because of how often he attacks and just how how well he does once he attacks. And then you also have to look, He he's a career 40% three-point shooter from the corner. Last year, he shot 42% on catch-and-shoot threes. He's six foot six with a six foot eleven wingspan who is – I think his defense is underrated just because his offense is so fun to watch when he plays. And I think this year is the year that the Thunder are closer to say number 10 than number one in the lottery odds. And I think that's because they let SGA play and he, I think he might be an all-star this year. Yeah. I I think you caught all, all of the things that I wanted to hit with a couple of exceptions. One is that we talked earlier about how like, you know, DeJounte Murray is can't shoot threes. And I think that's super damaging from uh, your lead ball handler. Shea really struggled from deep last season. He only hit 30%. He has shown in the past that he can be a pretty decent three point shooter. So I'm really hoping that he bounces back. It's the off the dribble stuff. You mentioned he was doing pretty uh, well on, on catching shoots. And it's really the off the dribble stuff where he struggled uh, last season. Um, and I'm hoping that he bounces back because I love Shea. I, I think the difference between him and DeJounte on offense is that Shea has proven he can get to the rim pretty much at will. And he's drawn an, uh, oodles of free throws and most importantly, he hits them, right? He's an 80% free throw shooter for his career. And uh, that is the difference between him and DeJounte Murray right now, right? Like he can actually get to the rim, which is where he makes up for his kind of lack of touch downtown last season. But I'm hoping that'll come back anyway and it'll turn into a, a pretty close to perfect offensive player. 
Um, defensively, I'm not as optimistic as you. I think that he should be a better defensive player than he has been. And I'm hoping that it's just because like the team has been so bad and they haven't really developed good defensive habits. Um, coach, you know, Dagnalt over there has done a pretty good job. I think of keeping them effort high and teamwork pretty good for a team. That's just been tanking for a couple of years now, but we'll see what happens this year. Cause I do, nobody's higher on Shea than I am. I think that he has bonafide superstar potential. He just really needs a chance for the team to be trying to win, to showcase it on a national, to a national audience. I do think the defense, you're right. It's been more, I've seen, I think I've seen the flashes where I think he could, he can get to a good level and he definitely has the for size sure. for it. And when you, when you look at the rest of the size that the Thunder have, I think that just factors in. And I'm hopeful that Giddy continues to progress and just mm. is like one of the elite playmakers. So even if Shea can't create off the dribble at the three, hopefully that 42% on the catch and shoot can st- hopefully he can get a lot of his opportunities from the catch and shoot with Giddy being the playmaker that I think he's going to be in this league. So who, who would you, Oh, go ahead. Nope. That's it. I was just ready to launch into my next, uh, I agree with everything. I'm ready to launch into my next uh, overrated guy. Get going then. Colin Sexton, man. I, I, and maybe he's not that overrated, right? The Cavs were pretty reluctant to hand a big bag of money to him. And I think they were right. Fan bases though, I think have traditionally been very pro Sexton. He's a guy who's easy to root for. He definitely tries hard. That's not his issue. Like he's always doing stuff. I just think that a lot of the things he's doing aren't particularly helpful for winning basketball games. Um, It is weird. He is like a fairly efficient score. Last year was bad. Um, like he couldn't shoot from anywhere last year and then he got hurt. So, uh, you know, I think his history though has been like a fairly efficient, you know, score from three different levels, which usually is a good sign, but he's undersized. Uh, his defense has always been more effort than productive, uh, kind of in the Russell Westbrookian sense, right? Like he's running around, he's trying to do stuff, but a lot of times he's out of position. He gambles at bad times. He can't, has no hope of stopping anybody down low. Cause he's just so little. Um, and he's, you know, teammates have never really liked playing with him. Like as a rookie, like there was a lot of anonymous sources come, which, you know, you always have to take with a grain of salt. And a lot of them were definitely Kevin love who just literally, I think hates Colin Sexton with the fire of a thousand sons. And uh, he's a little bit of a ball hog in ways that don't necessarily show up on the box score. Like he, his passes are always a half beat too late or too early. He's never quite got the timing down. Right. He's not as good running the pick and roll as you think a guy who's point guard sized should be. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I, everything about Colin Sexton when I watch him just kind of rubs me a little bit wrong. I think you're right with the Cavs being reluctant and I know their limit is because of the salary tax purposes, but he's definitely not a player you go into the salary tax for, or even close to. So I think that limits right. And I think his, he's a sixth man at best. He doesn't and, think he's a sixth man. That's where we get into issues, right? Like this is a well, guy. That's who, what I was getting ready to say. And he, yeah. I don't think he can accept the fact that he's going to have to be in that role to be successful. So I think you're right. I think he's overrated. And the only reason I push back on that a little bit is the fact he's not, like you said, he's not signed. So are we sure he's overrated because no one cares enough to go get him? Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because I think he definitely has his fans I think fans. he would have to I think sign people a, watching it are would his have fans, to be a right? three-year contract if a team would have to sign him for three years. And I think that's part of the holdup because he's restricted. Mm. But yeah. 
It really proves yeah, the power of, of restricted free agency, right? Because I think teams have been hesitant to kind of give them an offer sheet. But um, to, and to your point, because of the power, the, the, the mechanics of the way restricted free agency works, because there are people out there, I am convinced, who valued him. They look back to his pr- third season in the, in the league, averaged 24 points a game on 48, 37, 82 shooting splits. Like that on paper is an efficient, you know, high volume score. That's no joke. They're hard to find. That's the hardest thing to do in the NBA. But it always felt a little bit like empty calories to me. The team clearly realized, I think, that Darius Garland is the way forward, not Sexton. And I think they were right to do so. So we'll we'll see what happens with him. 100%. So my next overrated guy is also a shooting guard. It's Devin Booker and Phoenix. And I, I I think Devin Booker is a great player. Don't get me wrong. But if you look at the Hoop Socialist, he ranked 13th, the 13th best player in the league. Again, I'm going to go – well, first off, I'm going to look at Booker's effective field goal percent uh, percentile. So, like, this is how he compared to the other players at his position for his effective field goal percentage. Last year, he was only in the 54th percentile. The year before, 59. The year before, 63. And the year before, 78. So, his effective field goal percentage – it's getting closer to average in the league. He's not getting a, he's not getting better in that. He's getting worse in that every year. If you look at the 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 cleaning the glass plus minus numbers, Phoenix as a team they were plus eight point five, but with Paul and without Booker they were plus nine point six. With Booker and without Paul they were only plus seven point oh. Not you know not as drastic as Tatum and Brown, but for Devin Booker, a guy who I think again. 13th best player overall I I just I I don't see it and when I went and I looked at his effective field goal percentage and I saw that percentile just dropping over the years it was I was just out I was like not out but I was like okay this is a guy I feel comfortable being able to put on the slightly overrated list because we talked about this before it's really easy to put people on the underrated list it's really hard to find guys you want to be like, well, you know, I, I don't think they're as good as everybody says because Devin Booker is amazing at basketball, even if he doesn't want Joakim Noah to, to double him. <laughs> well, see, here you put me in a pickle, okay, because you are calling out those hoop social rankings and said that he was 13th. I had him 12th, so clearly I, I can't – and I don't – there's a lot of things about Booker personality wise that rubbed me the wrong way. You already talked about the doubling thing. I think him, you know, getting the ref to move the Raptor out of the way when he was, the Raptor was quote unquote distracting him is one of the least cool things I've ever seen an NBA player do in any setting or context. It just was mind blowing to me that that happens. <laughs> is he the NBA's Russell West or Russell Wilson? Oh, uh, well, Oh, funny you bring that up and amazing for me because I have an awesome Russell Wilson story. I will not hear any Russell Wilson slander because I got to play flag football against Russell Wilson one time. And I actually had not one, but two pick sixes against the Russell Wilson. My team crushed his uh, and it felt really good. And I will say that he was like super classy throughout really nice guy. Um, You know, seemed really cool was clearly like just doing a favor for his high school buddies in Richmond, Virginia came out. Didn't realize he was going up against me. His mistake. Should have read the scouting report. Um, but uh, I, after that day, I have to root for Russell Wilson. And I feel like based off of, you know, my four hours of interaction with him, he's just like a genuinely nice dude and it comes across as corny. Um, I don't feel like Devin Booker is a genuinely nice dude. I think he is just like corny. Um, but 
we've got off off topic, so I could talk about my awesome Russell Wilson story. Uh, I think Devin Booker is people's personal distaste for him. I think, including my own, has in many ways started to cloud people's judgment for a guy who has. You know, you were going through kind of some of the efficiency numbers, but I actually think that he's an amazingly efficient shooter considering he takes one of the most difficult shot diets in the game today. Like he's so mid-range heavy. And it's like, yeah, you'd like to see him tilted a little bit away from that and a little bit more into threes and a little bit more into, um, you know, getting to the rim, trying to get some free throws, which he's excellent at, right? But like, this is a guy who knows his craft and he still is above average efficiency wise, despite the fact that he only shoots the least efficient shots pretty much, which I think is amazing to talk about looking at his shot chart. It's basically just red everywhere. Like, right. Like he can finish at the rim. Um, he can, obviously he's a mid range God. I would say like, he's a, uh, finally, finally, he became a good three point shooter last year after seeming like he should be a good three point shooter. He finally was last year for the first time ever. And I think defensively, he's kind of worked himself into a place where like he's, almost Steffian in a way where like people always brag on him for being bad, but he's fine. Right. Like I think Steph has gotten to the point where he's fine. And in some ways above average, Devin's not quite there, but Devin's also big enough, strong enough and has become good enough that he is not a weak link defensively. And it's so important for teams with champion aspirations to just not have weak links. Not everybody can be a super stud both directions. And it's unrealistic to expect people to be that way, but having your best player offensively also be fine defensively is a huge win. And so I think that Devin Booker has really kind of just come to a place where like, and he does all the scoring on such a high volume too. Right. And I think that like, he's gotten to a place where he doesn't really have any holes in his game anymore. Um, and so now it's just about further exacerbating his strengths, I guess is the, is a weird way to put it, but like, he just needs to see how far he can take the things that he does best to see if he can really become a top 10 guy instead of 12th or 13th. Well, I've still got him around 20, so we're just going to have to live with that. <laughs> and you should. You should. It wouldn't be fun if we agreed about everything. So, And like I said, I, I'm not a really a big fan of Booker per se. I just think that he has turned himself to a really good player. But I'd love to hear people slander him more, to be honest. I think I think he has turned himself into a really good player, but I think playing with Chris Paul, I think DeAndre Ayton has really sacrificed a lot of his game to tailor around what will make the sun successful. And I don't think Booker's like, I think Booker has just got to lean into, okay, I get to run around and shoot the ball (laughs) where, and that's great because he is an excellent shooter. Like you said, if you look at his shot chart, it's red everywhere. But I do think that Booker has got to lean into his strengths while the team has been built to kind of hide his weaknesses, because this team has been built around Devin Booker from the start. And it was, well, when is he going to go to to Minnesota to play with his buddy, Carl Anthony Towns, before they traded for Chris Paul? So I think this team has kind of been built with his success in mind, and I think he's risen to the occasion on that. I just, I'm nitpicking here. When you're, when you're talking the best of the best, uh, you're I, right. I, I get nitpicky. It's a hard, it's a hard exercise, for sure. Um, but yeah, okay. I, I just feel like I was right? hurt. I just feel like I was personally attacked since you called out the rankings that I myself curated and had him very appropriately picked. You had so. him even higher than what I called out. I'm like, you yeah, can't yeah. have him 13th, and you're like, actually, sir, I had him 12th. This podcast is brought to you by BetUS. That's bet and the letter U and the letter S. BetUS. 
BetUS is the official sportsbook partner of Hoop Social. U.S. bettors in all states are welcome and payouts are fast and easy. Visit hoop-social.com slash bet, B-E-T, today and take advantage of their 125% sign-up bonus offer. That is incredible. Terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Again, that's hoops, hoop Dash social.com slash bet B E T 1 800 Gambler. If you have a problem, please gamble responsibly. All right, that's who's exactly next right. on your underrated list? So, my next underrated guy, my last underrated guy, I think, is going to be Lonzo Ball. Um, or actually, I guess we, I still have two more underrated guys, huh? So, never mind, I take it back. Lonzo Ball, and this should be great for you as a Bulls fan, right? And I love Lonzo Ball, I love talking about him. Um, He's a joy to look at statistically. I think that, you know, this is a guy who's not a superstar. And maybe one of the reasons why people didn't like him early on is because, like, when you're drafted number two overall, right, like, you're expected to be a superstar. This is somebody who you want to be making all NBA teams. This is somebody you want to be the face of the franchise. Um, So I understand why, you know, initially people were maybe kind of sour on him. But he's turned himself into, like, a killer role player. Clearly a guy with the skill set you'd want to build – uh, you know, like three and D is not quite right because he's still a point guard, but he is and turned himself into an incredible three point shooter. He is an amazing defender. And this is something that you as a Bulls fan, I'd be curious for your take on. But like I to me, I kind of think he might be a better overall pl- defensive player than Caruso, even though Caruso is better at point of attack defense. And it looks sexier when he's just bodying up dudes and completely stonewalling them. And like, you know, Lonzo is a level but- better than Caruso. I, okay, that makes me feel better because that's kind and of what he, I always thought. And he's got the he has the size, which also helps. Lonzo's bigger than Caruso, and I. So, if you watch Lonzo without Caruso on the floor, I think I don't think he's as good as Caruso. But when Caruso is out there, or when Io is out there, with Lonzo, he has to have a secondary aggressive point of attack defender. If right. he doesn't have someone aggressive to back him up he doesn't have the confidence on the defensive end to go out and be that aggressive, like Kawhi type. But when you, when you pair him with someone like that, I think he is a true, like all NBA first team defense level talent on the defensive end. Like I I really think he ratchets it up to that level. And before he got injured, you, you heard a lot of talk about Lonzo and Caruso both being, you know, all defensive talk. I thought the Caruso stuff was a little overblown, but I thought the Mm. Lonzo stuff, when you really watched the bulls, he was, he was the key for that whole team. You, when you bring in Vucevic, having that six-six point guard who is, like you said, a, a top-tier point-of-attack defender who can also guard in the post when he has to and help out with, with that, It's his value on that end is just so understated. And you called him a point guard. I don't think he is a an offensive initiator, but he can be the secondary playmaker on a half-court team, and he is one of the most fun players to watch in transition when he gets a rebound or, or an outlet pass and he's able to run with it, the passes he's able to throw, like, it's just, it's so much, it's so enjoyable to watch, especially when you have Zach healthy being able to finish. I, I love him being an underrated one and I just want him to, to be healthy. 
he was only supposed to be out right. like six to eight weeks, and now he's probably not going to be ready for the the start of the season. So yeah, which is crazy because we've heard so much mixed messaging on his injury status for literally since it happened, basically. And then you know a few weeks ago they were saying, oh, he was going to be out until Thanksgiving. And then there was his camp came out and was like, oh no, he'll be ready for the start of training camp. I, you know, the, I, I don't know what to believe. It's almost gotten to the point with Zion where, where like, I just need to see him on the court before I really believe he's back. And it is a bummer for all the reasons that you stated. And like, I love watching him. I think like he is a guy that with you can just cut together some beautiful footage. If you want to show it to a kid, who's probably not going to ever become Giannis LeBron, even like offensively, maybe Donovan Mitchell, but you want to be like, Hey, you want to carve out a 14, 15 year career in the NBA. You have to play exactly like this guy. And I think that's a surefire way to make, you know, 10 digits in earnings, um, you know, or sorry, I guess nine digits in earnings for your career. And I'd love to see more people kind of take that and run with it. And I don't think he should be penalized for the fact that he had insanely high expectations going in, but he's going to be an awesome third or fourth guy on a, you know, really good playoff team down the road yeah i i think he i think he is just so underrated in what's important for the bulls it's it's funny you have a a high drafted player who instead of you know becoming a superstar more went into filling their role to be successful for a winning team because i mentioned him earlier i've got deandre ayton as one of my underrated guys and I've always had a soft spot for him. He went to Phoenix as the number one overall pick. Everyone, myself included, I was I was high on Luca. Um, a lot of people were, and that obviously did not turn out well for him. And I've always had a soft spot for him because of that. But to see him go in when he was drafted, I thought he was going to be like I expected him to be like this three level score from what I from what I heard, and he was just supposed to be like this offensive juggernaut and. Well, we weren't sure if he was going to be able to to put in the effort on the defensive end. And I know all the reports came out about the questions now, but you've seen him ever since he was drafted. He's bought into the team first mentality. Whatever the team needed him to do, he was willing to do. And getting Chris Paul, it, obviously that's helped his game immensely, but that's because he's been willing to sacrifice his game on the offensive end to not be like a creator and instead focus on that defensive role. And with him and Bridges, you mentioned that Booker's a a passable defender now. He is now, but he wasn't before. And passable is all he is. Hmm. Having Aiden back there, Bridges is great, but he can only guard one guy out on the wing. Having Aiden back there helps Chris Paul, helps Devin Booker, because they aren't, you know, the top tier guys out there. And they are the ones that are getting targeted in the playoffs. And I think Aiden did a really good job against Jokic in the playoffs. I think he's a, a big body that you can throw against these guys because you've got Chet coming. You've got Paolo, who looks like he's going to be seven foot by the time he's done growing. Hmm. You've got all of these guys. When, when Victor's coming over, he's going to be seven foot five. You need big bodies. The small ball era is its not going to last forever. You're going to have to have some big bodies. And Aiton is a guy who has shown a willingness to sacrifice for the team. And do so at a level that is good enough to get get his team to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I think that the one thing that I'd say is that I agree he's sacrificing on offense. I, defensively, I am curious to kind of see 
again, how he really does as we get to even more and more of a switch heavy league. Um, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that he's quick enough maybe to stay with guards on the perimeter. Like he, he does fine. He does fine, but he's not elite at it. Yeah. In I, the way yeah, I don't think some people build him up. Maybe when I, when I said that I'm Mormon, I think when he was drafted, the question was, well, is he going to, is he going to be passable on defense? Is he going to try on defense? Mm. And I think he's answered Fair. those questions. I think, I don't think he's a negative on defense in, unless he's being exposed by, say, like a Steph Curry, and you you have to kind of scheme around it. But, I mean, when it gets to that point, um, you can say the same for Jokic. You can say the same for him. But you can say the totally same for fair. anyone. Right, for anyone else. So uh, I just wanted I just wanted to include that. I, I, I'm not trying to say he's a great defender. I didn't I, – if, if it came across that way, I wanted to clear that up right now because I don't think he's an, an excellent defender – I think he is a good defender who is in the right place more often than not and helps cover the mistakes for Booker and Paul. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that's all fair. I also think that like, I would love to see him stretch himself a little bit offensively and try to, you know, hit some three pointers. Um, I think he should be able to, his stroke is nice looking, um, but yeah, no, I like eight. And I do think that he, Certainly the Suns underrate him. Like I was very surprised at that his, at their unwillingness to give him a max, which I think in a few years with a bigger TV contract is going to look like a totally reasonable contract for a guy who, like you said, basically can go get buckets when you need them to, uh, you know, can score in a variety of ways defensively. I agree. He's good against bigs and I think he's fine against guards, which is a rarer combination than you would think. Basically it's rare to have a center who's able to hold his own on both ends of the court at this point in the NBA's history. So you do need someone to throw at like the true behemoths out there. Like, Jokic and Embiid when you're going to be going up into the highest levels of the playoffs so and I think and and Giannis right and we've seen him do well against Giannis or at least hold his own against Giannis and that's pretty there aren't that many guys you can can ask for against Giannis exactly Uh, I I do think if he had an ownership group that wasn't of the old mind he would have gotten a max more easily Uh, he did you know Starver's uh, not he, maxing anybody. He doesn't have to max, and you're gonna have to drag him kicking and screaming into the luxury tax, as we know. So, right. So uh, we've got what one more overrated and one more underrated a piece, right? Yep. Um, All right. Who's your Who's your last overrated? Well, I am sorry to Cleveland Cavaliers fans because I put this list together and didn't even realize that I'd accidentally put two Cleveland Cavaliers on my overrated list, and it's Karis Levert. And I feel terrible about this because I actually had the opportunity to meet his aunt once who is a brilliant woman um, who, you know, is uh, I think she's running some really interesting like venture capital funds right now in like the agricultural space. But she's like super interesting. She does all this cool stuff in sort of the social impact world. But anyway, I'm getting off target. She was awesome. And by all accounts, Karis is like a super cool dude. Uh, Like everybody loves him as a person. You know, obviously the story about uh, the physical when he was traded, capturing kind of like his heart issue and potentially saving his life is amazing. And uh, like, I wish nothing for the best for a guy who genuinely seems like a good dude. That said, I think he's a horrible fit on the Cavaliers. I don't, I just, every, you catch him on the right day and he looks like he's a top 30, top 40 player in the NBA. But I just think that people see the highlights and think of him as somebody who's this like star in the waiting as a secondary creator extraordinaire. And I see a guy with tunnel vision who forces up some horrible shots and it's frustrating because he's so tantalizing. He shows these amazing passing flashes, like I've said, but like so many times he just misses an open guy or he forces up an ugly shot and he's never been able to develop a consistent outside 
uh, shooting stroke, which is annoying. He's not a great finisher, really. I, like, I don't know. He's a guy that I always want to be better than he is. And he just has, he, he's never put it together defensively, despite being long and, uh, you know, I think he's six six with a pretty good wingspan. Like he's a guy who should be a good defender, but he's, and he's pretty quick, but he just has never put it together. So I don't know. He's a guy that annoys me physically. It annoys me when I watch him and I'm like, why aren't you better? And then the trade to the Cavaliers killed me. I, I hope they don't end up extending him. Cause I think that he's a bad fit on a team with that. You want to build around Garland and Mobley and Allen and Sexton's not enough, good enough shooter to put out there. And he's not enough, good enough defender to help Garland. So like, I'm like, where, where does he fit on this team? What are they doing? Did you like used to root for him and he just didn't pan out and you're really bitter about it? Cause man, <laughs> you went, you went hard after him. So, oh, Okay, I know I don't have anything to add. I th- I think he's a fine player who, like you said, he shows flashes and the highlights are awesome. But when you watch him play, he's definitely more of a detriment to his team than and than a plus. More so he's not a fine not, player think. then, right? Like I, I I mean, if if you're a detriment to your team, how are you a fine player? Sorry, you're, so, I, he really so gets for, my blood. So boiling. for me, so so for my me, blood boiling because he should the, be the, the 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 range of fine is say like a forty five to 55 level player and i think he's like a 45 level player like on a like scale from a, zero to 100 yeah like say there's 100 plays i think 45 of them are positive he does uh-huh. well on 55 he does negative on set oh interesting scale i like that i would i, not I, I, I just that made that up on the spot but i like that though i'm gonna keep that scale in mind we should break it out in future podcasts too that's a fun well, one we'll have to break that down but we're, we're <laughs> running a little long here yeah we are we are so Sorry. I'm going. Oh, that's that's partially my fault too. So <laughs> I'm just gonna go with my last underrated guy. I'm skipping. I'm skipping my last overrated because I get I get to do that. I'm the host. For sure. So my last um, underrated guy. It's hard for me to to pick, but I think I got to go James Harden. You just wrote about him, and like that's really the thing that sold me. And <laughs> I. I know this sounds like a shameless plug, but you really should go read it because I'm going to read you some snippets here because it's just that good. He points out this. 61% of Harris of uh, Tobias Harris's shot attempts had a defender within four feet of him before Harden, before the all-star break. After that with Harden, it was only 49%. Harden is getting Tobias Harris wide, much better looks. You look at the numbers with Embiid. 21 regular season games, Embiid averaged 33.6 points on 52-40-81 shooting splits. That's like It's just insane what Harden was able to do for those two guys. When you look at what he's able to do for Maxi, when he's able to break that, you, you posted a clip of him of Harden driving, breaking down a defense, and kicking it out to Maxi, and Maxi's ability to just attack instantly, uh, attack the rim instantly, broke down the defense and got him an easy bucket. Uh, another thing you looked at, according to Synergy, Harden ranked second in pick and roll efficiency among all players with at least 150 possessions behind only Jokic on a much smaller sample. And the Harden and Bede pick and roll averaged an incredible 1.25 points per possession. You've done the stuff. You wrote the article. That's just a little bit. Why else is James Harden one of the most underrated players in the league this year? Yeah, you know, I think that he's starting. So Harden's always had probably been the least liked super duper star in the league like basically from you know the second year first year in houston it was all you know love everyone's like wow this guy's so much better than we thought but it really quickly people started to kind of tire of his shtick which is like how can i make every possible second with this ball the most efficient way to get points for my team 
And it turns out that a lot of the efficient ways, and anyone who plays video games hard, right, knows that there's a thing in video games called min-maxing, right? Where you basically try to tailor your character or your play style to really break the system of whatever game you're playing into the most optimal outcomes you can imagine. And it's not very often a pretty way to play. It's not often the way that the designer of the game designed a game to be played. But then you look at the way that Harden plays basketball, and it's exactly like that. He's trying to get these kind of crazy... I, I have to interject for just a second. Ever since on video games, you've been able on the basketball games, you've been able to call for the pick and roll or the pick and pop specifically on 2K. I've been playing with a center that can shoot just ever, ever since <laughs> I've been playing video games with a center that can shoot because uh, I've always believed in the ability to stretch a defense. And it's something that it, I've done since before analytics and you mentioning the video games and the <laughs> min max, it just, my brain went to, when I watched Harden play in Houston, it was like watching me play a video game. <laughs> yeah. And like, it turns out people didn't like watching that. Right. And it's a bummer because I, I always, so I shouldn't like be a streamer. Strong. I shouldn't be a Twitch streamer. <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, like let's say you like the way that he plays is maybe not quite right. It's not aesthetically pleasing, but I think I appreciate it. Um, and for the craft involved, the technique involved and like, People are always like, oh, I want guys who will do anything to win. And I feel like that's exactly what Harden did, at least in the regular season. And then people didn't appreciate him for it. But, you know, now it's tougher to defend Harden because he's obviously had a long line of playoff failures. A lot of them weren't his fault, but you know what? A lot of them were. Um, But as he's transitioning later into his career, and I write about this, like I think he's finally realized that like something needs to change. He's starting to make some significant strides um, in his offseason training in kind of his play style even, right? Like he's not doing as much of the ref baiting. He's not doing as much of the dribble, 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 dribble 600 times and shooting it because he's not as good at that anymore. And I think it's resulted in a guy who's like a truly transcendent point guard whose only like goal is to make his teammates the best versions of themselves. And he still has some of that other stuff in his bag when he needs to, but like, the guy, the guy orchestrates an offense like as beautifully as anyone we've seen in the last decade. And now that's the only thing he's trying to do. He's not doing as much of the individual stuff. So I think he's actually turned around the conversation in a way that hasn't fully caught up with the way people think about him yet. But I think he's like fun to watch. I think he's going to be, this Philly team is going to be awesome. Like, will he do it in the playoffs? I don't know. I hope so because I'm tired of defending him. And then he lets me down and uh, again and again, but from a regular season perspective, you know, I do think he's underrated and underappreciated. And uh, I hope, I hope this is the year that he finally has a good playoff run and the Sixers just go out there and just kill people. I think it's funny. You mentioned that he, he lost a little bit of his athleticism, his athletic ability. And instead of being at a hundred percent, he's at like 85% now. And now that he has to be that playmaker role, I think it's he's going to age so much more gracefully than so many people, myself included, anticipated. I remember the debates between Chris Paul and James Harden, who was going to age better because Chris Paul is a vegan and he takes such good care of his body. And James Harden, he's going out to the night, you know, he's going out and all this stuff. But if James Harden can continue to run an offense the way he does, I think he's going to have value as he ages, even if it's just coming off the bench and being able to torture second units like a, uh, uh, who was the guy who had the old man game? Andre the Miller. Point guard. Yes, Andre Miller. Like, I think he could be an Andre Miller type when he gets older, even. Mm. Yeah, that actually, it's funny because there are some physical resemblances for sure, right? Those are two thick guys. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about like the end of Har- like the end end of Harden's career, like post 36-ish, right? But like, 
I, yeah, he's so he's got so much skill, and he's at least like strong. The one thing Harden's always been is strong, which you can work with a little bit on defense. So I don't know what he'll look like, you know, four or five years down the road. But at least for this year, I think that he is underrated, and I'm excited to see what they can do. All right, who's your last underrated guy? My last underrated guy, Wendell Carter Jr. Um, so I oh. had to help you out by talking about Lonzo earlier, but now I got to talk about it. You couldn't have switched away. the order. Like, you're like, hey, guys. <laughs> hey, everyone. We're, go- we're going to end on a positive note. <laughs> positive for everyone for, except Trey. Except for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry about that. But, I, you know, he really opened up some eyes uh, for Orlando these last couple of years. And last year especially, like, I think you saw what – he could start to like what people thought he might do coming out of college. Right. Um, He's very well-rounded almost. uh, I've heard some people online call him like Alf Horford. And I, you really do see it in terms of like a guy who adds some like maybe non-traditional rim protection, like teams shot uh, five and a half percent worse at the rim when he was on the court than when he was off, which is in the 92nd percentile, but he's not out there like swatting the ball into the stands every time. Right. Like he's, Uh, excellent with positioning he's really good at keeping people from getting to the rim with just like being able to slide his feet stay vertical um without fouling i I just think that like defensively he's that kind of multi-tool big man that you really need kind of like we talked about with ayton he can get out in the perimeter but he's still solid against the big guys as well and offensively we really saw him kind of come alive in a way we hadn't last year um and so i think that uh he looks like a guy who will be a perfect fit anywhere which i value a lot in a player in terms of team building and trying to figure out who can be a champion like i think he might not ever have the gaudiest statistics in terms of like traditional box score but in terms of like impact towards winning i value guys with no appreciable weaknesses that are an easy fit against any next to any set of teammates because it makes it so much easier to build a real winning team around you well, longtime listeners to Charity Stripe Commentary will hear me, will know that I've been saying Wendell Carter Jr. is going to be Al Horford since he was <laughs> drafted by the Bulls. And I love seeing him prosper in in Orlando. I, I really think the coaching staff held him back. He was very frustrated with, in Chicago. He voiced that a few times um, with especially Jim Boylan. And to see him get there and grow, I, I have nothing but love for him. I'm so glad that it's worked out there. It didn't work out super great for the Bulls, the trade itself with Vooch getting getting COVID when Vooch got uh, traded over and then missing the playoffs. But to see Wendell Carter get to succeed, that's all I want for him. That's all I want for Laurie in uh, Cleveland. I'm glad you didn't mention him tonight. So uh, I think that about wraps it up on over and underrated players. Did you have anything else you wanted to add or plug before we go? Nope, I think we did it. So basketballpoetry.com, hoop-social.com, and at bballispoetry. Thanks for listening, everyone. And you can follow me on Twitter at Final Finally. Once again, thanks for listening to this edition of Charity Stripe Commentary, part of the Hoop Social Podcast Network. Have a good one.